Hi, my name is Edward, and welcome to today's edition of the PyTorch Dev Podcast. Today, I want to talk a little bit about structured kernels and meta tensors, a project that I've been working on for the better part of a year, maybe more than that at this point. Um, structured kernels are basically a new way of writing kernels in PyTorch where you can, um, instead of writing you know, a kernel from whole cloth that does all of the computation, all of the determining whether or not the inputs are right and all of the um, uh, output shape size computation, for example, it allows you to factor your kernels into a structured form where you write a meta function which says you know what the input checks need to be and what the output sizes are going to be and then an actual implementation function which you can then do a separate implementation for CPU and CUDA and they reuse the meta function to do all of the you know shape checking but then the actual implementation bits can be different in both cases and then meta tensors are a sort of easy extension on top of this which is that well once you have this meta function that all it does is check the input d types and figures out what the output shape needs to be, you can actually then do a third tensor type, not CPU or CUDA, but meta, which simply says, okay, uh, that's cool. You figured out what the output shape needs to be. I'm done. Uh, I'm just going to give you back that tensor without actually having done any of the computation at all. So meta tensors are just tensors that don't have any storage associated with themselves. They just, uh, you know, like, they're just sort of like a abstract interpretation of the tensor just without the data in question. So these are two new um, sort of features slash um, endeavors slash projects that have been going on in PyTorch. Uh, not every kernel is structured. There's a bunch of um, kernels that you can port to structured if you want. And um, I've got a very detailed RFC on the topic in the PyTorch RFCs repository. And that's not really what I want to talk about today. I'm not going to tell you really, really about how structured kernels work. Instead, I just want to talk a little bit about the history behind structured kernels. And in particular, and the reason why I'm doing this episode, Anjali Chordia asked me, hey, Edward, you know, why did it take so long for us to do structured kernels? They seem like a pretty simple idea. Um, this is not her words, I, I'm, but I'm, I'm elaborating. They seem like a simple idea, like, you know, of course you don't want to write the shape checks multiple times in your CPU and CUDA kernels. How come, you know, it wasn't done this way from the beginning? How come we didn't do it earlier? And this is actually a pretty good question because for me, I was, you know, originally when I decided that I was going to work on this, I thought to myself, oh, you know, um, I'll be able to wrap this up in a half. I'll be able to port, you know, 80% of all operators. Life will be great. You know, what could possibly go wrong? Well, a lot of things. So let's talk about that. Before I dive into um, when we started working on structured kernels, um, it's useful to um, think about sort of what problems were showing up for us in PyTorch development that sort of led to the idea that we actually need to invest some time on this. And um, there are two like very distant causes that sort of caused us some consternation and we didn't really act on them. And then a more immediate cause, and uh, I wanna talk about the distant causes first. So distant cause one was um, we were writing, um, we were writing compiler passes for the JIT and they needed to do shape propagation. And there was a problem, right? Which is that like, hey, uh, you know, you've got some input shapes and uh, you know, you're running an add on them and you don't know what the output shape is. How do you actually compute it? And so remember like, you know, PyTorch 
as it is written mostly today and historically the way it's written, um, all the shape checks, all the output computation, they're all sort of interleaved with the actual kernel computation that does the honest to goodness work. So if someone came to you and they said, hey, you know, I wanna know what the output shape of this, the add on these two tensors of these sizes are, but like, I don't want you to actually do any compute, I'd actually not have a good answer for you because there wouldn't actually be any way to call this code in the situation. So what did people do? Well, you know, we could have done something like structured kernels, but we sort of routed around the problem by just being like, okay, we're just gonna build, uh, we're just gonna write the formulas ourselves. Cause like a lot of these operators, the shape calculations are really simple. And you know, what could possibly go wrong? So we wrote a bunch of um, shape, you know, transfer functions that like, you know, said abstractly what various operators did. And these promptly fell out of date and no one uses them because like the coverage is really bad and a lot of them are wrong. And they're wrong for really interesting reasons because it turns out that computing the output size of like an ad is actually really complicated in PyTorch. There's a lot of things that go into it because it's not just, oh yeah, if the two sizes are the same, then I give you output that's the same size because hey, like there is, uh, you know, broadcasting to worry about. There is type promotion to worry about if, if you were cared about D types, which you often do in compiler passes. There's strides to care about if you're like doing memory loud. Actually, the stride handling for like, you know, uh, point wise operations is really, really complicated because we need to answer questions like if I add an NCHW and an NHWC tensor together, what is the output layout? And like, these are questions that are all resolved in the actual kernel today. And if you're just like someone like, you know, like who, who you don't really care about these shape functions, you're just trying to do some other work, right? That actually uses these shape functions. You're not gonna spend the time thinking about all of the exhaustive error cases that go into this problem. So, okay, so we needed some sort of um, shape pass for JIT and we wrote a kind of crappy one and now no one uses it. Actually, like when people really need like accurate shape information, what typically happens is they just trace through a honest for goodness, real execution of the Python PyTorch kernels running through the actual kernels in question. And then that gives you super accurate, you know, sizes and shapes and D types and layouts for everything that happened. And then you can like, just use that information directly, right? So like you just worked around the fact that you didn't actually have a function that you could have just called to find out what the shapes computed to be. So this is like kind of like, you know, oh, this kind of sucks, but sounds like refactoring everything in PyTorch to like put the shape computation separately seems like a lot of work. So, you know, I'm just a compiler developer. I'm not gonna work on it. And so things stay like that for a while. The second inkling we had that there would be a need for um, structured kernels was this like very old proposal uh, called async CPU. So what is async CPU? Well, um, you know, uh, when we uh, look at normal PyTorch programs, there's two devices that everyone uses, CPU and CUDA, right? CPU is synchronous. You like say, okay, I wanna do an add and it goes ahead and does the add. And then once the add's done, you get a new CPU tensor with the result of having done the add. CUDA is asynchronous. I talked a little bit about this in my previous podcast about, you know, just enough to be dangerous in CUDA, right? When you run a CUDA kernel, we actually run ahead and return to you immediately while the CUDA kernel is still processing. And eventually we, um, uh, we can keep queuing more kernels and only when we do a synchronize do we actually observe the result. Well, there's nothing special about being asynchronous that requires it to only happen on CUDA. And so if we are CPU, we can also just do um, 
a version of CPU that's asynchronous, right? So you like queue some work onto some thread pool and then the thread pool goes off and starts doing the CPU work and then you know you actually return immediately. And so if your CPU computations are very beefy, uh, then you know you might actually profitably reduce latency this way because you can keep you know running your control thread along while you know you're uh, chugging out the actual uh, CPU computations. So this was kind of cool, and you know we were talking about this um, during the time, and there was a problem. And the problem was like we really wanted to reuse all the existing CPU kernels. We didn't want to write an entirely new backend for async CPU. That would be silly, right? Because we got these perfectly good regular CPU kernels. We just need to make them async. But there was a problem. If you want to return immediately after running, uh, you know, queuing up the pool of work, you need to return a tensor. And that tensor you return needs to actually have all of the like, you know, metadata, the sizes, the D types, the layouts, all that stuff, because we have a ton of code that assumes that I can, you know, without inducing a sync, you know, uh, access this information. And in CUDA, this isn't really a problem because we like already did the copy paste uh, from CPU kernels to CUDA kernels. So like the CUDA kernels knew how to compute all the shapes while also asynchronously firing off the kernels because that's what the CUDA runtime dealt with. But like if we were gonna do this entirely new async CPU backend, it would be really silly if we like copy pasted every single CPU kernel and then like asyncified it. Like that would just be a terrible maintenance problem. And so we couldn't implement async CPU because once again, there was no way to run computations without um, without doing uh, a huge refactor of PyTorch. And there weren't really that many compelling use cases for async CPU at the time. So we just let that lie. And, you know, it was just like, okay, well, we can't do this, but maybe it doesn't really matter. And so there, were, there was always other stuff to work on at the time. The thing that actually convinced me that we needed to actually spend some time doing this refactoring work was um, when I was working with Bram Wasti on this project called Lazy Tensor. Um, lazy Tensors are this concept that like keeps coming back again and again. Um, and it's just, you know, instead of uh, eagerly executing computations when you ask for them in your eager mode API, we wait. We say, okay, we're not gonna actually run these computations because maybe we will notice uh, that uh, there's a sequence of operations that happen and they can be fused together. And then now I can actually, um, you know, use some fused kernel in this case and run a lot faster in this situation. Um, lazy is different from tracing because with tracing, you just like run the entire computation through, you, you capture whatever the um, control flow was at that time, and then you like compile the entire trace. Laziness is sort of trying to be this more controlled, uh, controlled situation where you uh, can run your code repeatedly and like, you know, we'll keep lazily evaluating and then like doing the optimizations every time. So actually, in theory, anything you could run in eager mode, you could also run with a lazy tensor, but you could actually pass it to some graph backend that does optimizations. It's, it's very similar to tracing, but the difference is you do expect to run the eager code every time. Um, and like, you know, if the trace is the same, then you reuse it. Otherwise, you know, you recompile. XLA, by the way, in PyTorch is an example of a lazy tensor in PyTorch. Okay, so Bram and I were working on this prototype. Well, really, Bram was like doing all the work and I was like, you know, 
advising as like someone who was working on Core PyTorch. And um, besides like all the design problems that like lazy tensors entail, and which would be a great story for another day on this podcast, um, something became clear, which is that, hey, when you do a lazy tensor, you need to return a tensor. And that tensor needs to have valid sizes and strides and D types, but you didn't actually run your computation. That was like, oh my God, this is terrible. This is exactly the same problem we run into um, you know, third time's a charm, let's actually do this. And so I pitched structured kernels as this project and thus embarked on this year long journey to like actually bring structured kernels into PyTorch. Why did it take so long to do structured kernels? Well, there's, you know, a really difficult problem whenever you wanna do any development in PyTorch, which is we have too many goddamn operators. Like we've got like, uh, so one of the things that I did before embarking on the structured kernels project was to like try to taxonomize every operator in PyTorch. And I actually like have a spreadsheet of all our operators. I like went through them one by one and tried to classify what kind of thing they did, what kind of shape computation they were. And it was only like 1700 operators. This is slightly inflated because like when there was a in place and out of place and out variant, I counted these all separately, but still 1700 operators. That's a lot of operators that you actually have to do. And we keep adding new operators every, you know, release. And so this number just keeps going up. So, oh my God, like how the heck are we going to actually refactor all of this code? And it's even worse because uh, remember like PyTorch came from Lua Torch, which came from Torch 7. And so there's like this legacy CTH implementation. And actually like we had already started a project for porting these crufty TH kernels written in C, written in this bastardized macro system and getting them into a more shiny modern C++. And even to this day, we are still not done getting rid of all the TH kernels. So like that's a lot of work and structured kernels, like refactoring kernels in this way would have been a lot, been a lot more work. So like the first thing that I like had to grapple with was like, how the heck am I actually going to like stage this change in a reasonable way so that we can like start partially migrating things while not having problems. The second big problem that I ran into was tensor iterator. So for those of you who don't know, tensor iterator is the um, class in PyTorch, which is responsible for implementing all of our unary, binary, and basically all of our like, you know, kernels that like, you know, basically know how to operate on strided tensors. Um, tensor iterator is pretty cool. It does a lot of interesting stuff. It's also really, 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 really complicated. And um, like, you know, if, so remember when I was like, how do you do add? Well, there's type promotion and there's, you know, layout propagation and there's all that stuff. Well, all that stuff is in tensor iterator and it's like this big ball of code that like no one really knows how to refactor. And I needed to somehow like not duplicate this code because like it's really complicated code. I don't want two copies of it. And at the same time, like make it possible to use without, you know, running the computation, even though it's like embedded into this giant monolithic tensor iterator class that like I have no idea how to do. That like took, I don't know, I think it like took two months to figure out a reasonable design for structured kernels that could actually deal with this involving uh, like, basically I added a virtual method to tensor iterator that got invoked once it had actually figured out what the sizes and the shapes and the D types were. <coughs> and then 
uh, overrode it to call into the structured kernel machinery. The, the technical details are important, but like basically big blob of legacy code. And originally I was like, I'm just not gonna solve this problem because you know, tensor is too complicated. Someone should just rewrite it. But like add and sub and all these really important operators are tensor iterators. So I needed to in fact, figure out some way to actually solve this problem. So yeah, so that all took a while and we're still not done. Um, there's still a lot of kernels that need to be ported to structured, but uh, we're in a much better spot right now. Um, there's a lot of work going on um, porting kernels to structured in PyTorch. We're getting better and better coverage. Um, we're hoping to hit um, covering all the operators that XLA supports. That's a really um, decent chunk of operators. And I don't know, I'm pretty optimistic about the project, even though you know it's like sort of sucked up my time and energy for, for a year at this point. That's all I really wanted to say about structured kernels and meta tensors. Meta tensors, by the way, really simple, right? But how are you going to test them? And like getting testing to work on them was also a project. But but I'm out of time. So I'm going to leave you all here. Thanks y'all for listening. See y'all next time.